Hello, I'm Courtney Garrett, and this is the 101 Christianity Podcast. These messages accompany Discovering the Character of God, a 14-week Bible study I wrote on the attributes of God, which is available on Amazon. I pray this message will encourage you as you grow in your understanding of God's character. Here we are, studying the Trinity. I've asked myself a few times this week, how do I get myself into this? Um, I, I mean, I, I did. I, I'm the one who did, but I have thought that a few times. I asked my husband last Friday night, we were getting ready for bed, and I said, hey, honey, I'm teaching about the Trinity this week. What, what do you have? What do you have for me? And he's one of those people who thinks before he speaks. It's kind of a unique thing for some of us, you know. It's nice to be married to one of those, although it takes time. You have to, you have to stop while they think before they speak. And he just sat there and he said, start with prayer. And then he left the room. And I thought, thank you. Thank you for that. We did talk more about it as the days went on, but that's, that's what he said. And that's kind of how we feel. Start with prayer. Lord, teach us. This is really difficult to grasp. I want to start this morning by making an assumption. I am going to assume that you fall into one of three groups of people this morning. And I am not trying to label you. I'm not trying to put you in a box. But I do think that we may, each of us may fall into one of three categories. The first category of people are those who believe in the Trinity, but have never really thought much about it. It's, yes, I believe, but I've never really spent that much time thinking about it because it's confusing, and I, but I believe in it. I just don't know that much about it. The second group of people, uh, you might be in this, in this, you believe in the Trinity, but you're really confused by it. You don't understand it, and so you don't know really what to do with it. But it bothers you that you don't know more or don't understand more. And then the last group of people, potentially, are those who believe in the Trinity and have a real grasp on it. And perhaps you should be the one teaching today instead of me, but there's, there's that group as well. Of course, there is the possibility that you come this morning and you don't believe in the Trinity at all. And so I hopefully you'll gain an understanding this morning today about why it is completely biblically supported throughout Scripture and really why it's important to believe in it. So I want you to know that in preparation for this, I used a few volumes to help me. I did not just pull from my mind because... I have to relearn these things, just like you, again and again. And so there's a few, a few good theology books that I used, one by Wayne Grudem, one by Alistair McGrath. I can, if, you, if you're interested, please come see me after. I'd be, I'd be happy to tell you about these books that are very helpful if you just would like a sound theology book just to refer to at times when you have questions. I also want to mention I use a website, and I use this website all the time, and it's called gotquestions.org. Not God questions, it's got, gotquestions.org. And you can type in any question, and I have found it to be a very sound, helpful resource when you have questions about a myriad of things. So put that in your back pocket because it's helpful. Okay, so today we are going to put on our thinking caps, as my mom would like to say, and primarily because we are called to have an informed faith. We are not called to a blind faith as believers in Christ. 
We are called to an informed faith. And so we have to understand what we believe. The Trinity is a doctrine, and you all read about that a little bit this week. And some of you may think, I don't love thinking about doctrine. That gets a little too intellectual for me. I just, and doctrine seems to divide, and it's controversial. There are multiple times in Scripture where we are encouraged to guard our doctrine closely. And what that means is that we, we really need to not only believe, know what we believe, but we have to be able to share that with others. We have to share it with the little people around us if we are parents. We are called to be able to al always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And so it's important that we learn these things. So while you may never have to write a dissertation on the Trinity or defend it for a group of people, this is something you cannot be indifferent about as a Christian. It is, it's too important. So we need to think of the Trinity in, in the context of God's attributes because most of us, when we think about God's attributes, kind of default to thinking about God the Father. For instance, when Moses parted the Red Sea, we see God's omnipotence and his power, and we tend to default to God the Father kind of orchestrating that event, right? Or uh, perhaps you think of God as a sovereign ruler on the throne, and then that again we kind of default to, to thinking about God the Father. So we need to have a comprehensive view of each member of the Trinity to have a good view um, and a right view of God. Because without a proper understanding, things can get out of whack, and we can overemphasize one member of the Trinity over another. And your tradition, your if you grew up in any kind of a religious tradition at all. You know, we talk a lot about how family of origin really plays a role in your life, and you grew up a certain way, and so you believe a certain way, and family of origin is really strong. Your religious tradition is also very much informs how you view things today. So if you grew up in a tradition where it was about God the Father, you prayed to God the Father, and it's about, you, 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 when you think about God, you think of God the Father. That was maybe something that you you learned in your religious tradition. You may have come from maybe a more charismatic background, and so it's all it's a lot about the Spirit, and you want to see the Spirit move, and there's the anointing of the Spirit, and filled, and indwelt, and, and the Spirit moving, all that stuff. So you can get, and, and that also is something that you want to read about all the time. So you might really emphasize the Spirit, or you might just be in the just give me Jesus camp. Those are the, you know, people that I really love the Gospels. I understand the Gospels. The Old Testament makes sense to me. I kind of don't know what to do with the Old Testament. And so I'm just not going to, I don't know, I'm not sure. So do you see how we can get out of whack if we overemphasize one member over another? We're called to understand all of who God is, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is why this is important. So this morning what I want to do is a couple things. One is I want to define the doctrine of the Trinity, which you all looked at today, uh, excuse me, this week in your study. And then I want to explain where we see it in Scripture, and then hopefully um, towards the end we can wrap it up with some application. But sit tight, because this is, this is things we need to learn, and so if, if I get a little too heady, just stick with me, and hopefully I'm gonna, we'll bring it together at the end. So first of all, what is doctrine? And specifically, what is Christian doctrine? Christian doctrine is what Christians believe about certain subjects based on the teaching from the Bible and viewing the Bible as an authoritative source. 
So it's what Christians believe about certain subjects in the Bible while we view the Bible as our authority. So if, if you don't, or if, if, if someone does not believe that Scripture is their authority, then obviously they're not going to be able to, to uh, grasp a lot of doctrines that we hold to. Doctrine is important because it helps us not pick apart the Bible and treat it like a buffet. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of that. This, I don't get. This offends me. I'm going to throw that out. This, I don't really, I don't really agree with. So doctrine grounds us. It keeps us from opting out of the things that get difficult or challenging for us. They, keep, they are the essentials of the faith and keep us grounded. So we can disagree on secondary issues. Secondary issues are non-essentials like baptism. Uh, you may come from, you, you, there's, there's two ways to see baptism, and we can agree to, to disagree on that. The sacraments, when you take the Lord's Supper, or how you view the end times, those are non-essentials of the faith. Doctrines are essentials of the faith, and the Trinity is an essential of the faith. So what is the doctrine? I spelled it out for you this week, um, but I want to reiterate it. The doctrine of the Trinity is, can basically be summarized in three, three ways, or it, with three points. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Y'all read a little bit this week about the history of the Trinity. Now, with each attribute that we study this week, there's not going to be a whole lot about the history. This is one we need history to be able to interpret it rightly. So in the early church, there was a great deal of confusion. People were wondering, were there three gods? And where is Jesus? Did Jesus always exist or not? So the confusion began to be resolved in the 4th century with the Council of Nicaea that y'all read about. The council was essentially 300 bishops that got together, and they set out to develop a formula that would express Christian orthodoxy. So that doctrine arose from their meeting that they all were in agreement that this was completely biblically supported. And it was from that that. Doctrine arose from the need for Christians to distinguish Jesus from God, yet to identify him with God. So the Trinity really means tri-unity. And that is kind of a helpful word, maybe even more helpful than the word Trinity. So tri-unity helps us to understand the, the three-in-oneness of God. So in summary, just to bring it on down, Wayne Grudem in Systematic Theology says this, and I think this is helpful. If all three members of the Trinity are equally and fully divine, then they have all three existed for all eternity, and God has eternally existed as a Trinity. So that helps us understand that Jesus didn't just show up on the scene. He's always existed. Uh, my son the other night, or, or we were actually were driving around, and he just goes... Okay, mom, he's nine. He goes, mom, okay, so there, there is no way that there is eternity because it, it, there had to be a beginning. And I'm like, I know. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? But it goes eternally this way, 
and it goes eternally this way. You know, we always think about we're going to live e eternally in heaven, but when we think things have always existed, we just can't get our minds around that. And, I, and, and my husband said, well, Jack, what if God just, you know, created time? And, I mean, you know, we're all sitting there just like... <laughs> And then Jack's sitting there like, looking out the window like, yeah, that really was helpful. So <laughs> we're all trying to get our heads around what is very hard to get around. But we come back to what we know. And so this is what we can hold to, that eternity is a thing. We'll talk about how the, the eternality of God in, in, in a different week. Um, but it's, this is difficult to get our heads around. Okay, so now I want to turn to, we've kind of laid the groundwork on really what the Trinity is, the doctrine of it. Now I want to talk about where we see it in Scripture. So open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at a few passages that help us see the Trinity all together. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see that? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I don't have time to go into this whole passage, but it is so rich with understanding about our salvation. We see God the Father. We see God the Holy Spirit. We see Christ as the cornerstone. And so that helps us to see all members of the Trinity working in and for our salvation. Turn uh, to 2 Thessalonians, just a few chapters over, books over. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 and 14. But we ought, oh, I'll, let you have, I'll let you have a second to find it. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospels, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There again, understanding our salvation and sanctification by the Spirit. Turn over one more to look at Titus. Just a couple of books over. Titus 3, verse 4. I love this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, by, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So do you see how all three members of the Trinity are working together in salvation? So you're, you say, okay, that's good. I see it in the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? I'm so glad you ask. Uh, the, one of the ways that we see the Trinity most clearly, so the Trinity is more implied in the Old Testament, but you have to have the kind of the right lens to look for it. And so if you're looking for it in the same way as in the New Testament, it's not going to be that way. So one of the ways we see it really clearly in the Old Testament is in the, the creation account. So when God, when the universe was created, God the Father spoke the creative words that brought it into being. He is the one that planned and decreed it. He's the architect of creation. God the Son was the divine agent who executed God's decree by doing the work of creation. So in Colossians 1.16, we, we know that it, what it says is all things were made by him and for him. And then John 1.2, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So, so Jesus was right there. We don't visualize it like we should, but he was right there. He was the one executing God the Father's plan. And then we, then we read about how the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the, of the waters. Do you remember that? And it was interesting, I read this week, that the Hebrew word for hovering that's used in Deuteronomy is of an eagle fluttering over its young in a supervising and protecting role. The Holy Spirit ensured its safe and secure development. Isn't that fascinating? And doesn't that make you just feel like, wow, there was God the Father decreeing it. Here's the God, here's God the Son executing it. And here's the Holy Spirit doing what he does in that comforting role. Another way where we see it um, in the Old Testament is the Trinity is in the use of the plural pronoun. So y'all looked at this week, let us make man in our image. So when we see the plural pronoun in the Old Testament in a couple of different places, there, there is an also a, a way that we see the Trinity. So Genesis 3.22, after the fall, it says, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. There's the us. There's, there's the Trinity. In Genesis 11.7, in the Tower of Babel, do you remember the people had decided, let's make a name for ourselves. And they were starting to build this tower up to the heavens because they thought they were so great. And then it says, come, let us, let us go down there and confuse their language. It's always so interesting to see how our, where our languages came from. And there we see it. Let us go down. And then another instance is in Isaiah, where Isaiah is getting called as a prophet. And he said, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So the Trinity's there. We just have to look for it. When we see that us, it's speaking of more than just God the Father. So this is hopefully going to help us not default to God the Father always when we're looking really at the Old Testament. And let's not forget, in the us, though, the Lord is one. Remember, we said there is one God. That's part of the doctrine. 
In Deuteronomy 6.4, you all know this. It, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema. This is the beginning of the one of the Jewish prayers that is recited daily by Jewish, our Jewish friends. Uh, and so, it, and Jesus repeated this commandment in Mark 12.29 before he talked about the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says at the very beginning, this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So that idea of one God, the reason why the, the Jewish faith repeats that is because that was very unique at that time. The Egyptians, for instance, met, you know, they worshipped all kinds of gods. So the Jewish people wanted to be set apart and to remind themselves and everyone else that we are different. We are unique. We serve one God. Okay, shifting gears we're going to talk about for a second where we see Christ specifically in the Old Testament. Stick with me. Are you all okay? You tracking? You tracking? Have a sip of coffee. Okay, we fail to understand how much Christ is in the Old Testament. And this is something that I am continuing to learn about. This is... Again, you have to look for it and have to understand who it is that they're talking about. Because we can mistakenly think that Jesus was passive until he shows up in the New Testament. I want you to remember this. The theme of the entire Bible is Christ. The theme of the entire Bible is Christ. And we have to read our Bible with that always in our minds. Because we can think the Bible is about me or the Bible is about some stories. It's about Jesus. So if we know that, we can look for it. Um, so oftentimes we'll see a foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. We see him as an angel of the Lord appearing sometimes. Do you remember when Jacob wrestled with the angel? We learn later in Hosea that that was Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. We see Jesus in prophecies. And another way that we see Jesus is in types. And I'm just going to touch on this. There's this whole thing called typology. And we could spend a whole morning talking about, well, series, a series on that. But let me just give you an example. Many Old Testament historical events double as symbols of what God would do in the future through Christ. So remember, when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, it's such a hard chapter to read, is it, isn't it? Abraham's response to Isaac's question, you know, Dad, where, where is the sacrifice? Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. My son showed such faith. God provided a ram in Isaac's place, symbolizing what he would do thousands of years later on that very mountain. Mount Moriah, where that sacrifice was made, where Abraham was there with Isaac, is the very place where Christ hung on a cross for us. And that is where God provided for Abraham and he provided for us. So do you see it? It's fascinating if you can, if you can see some of these types. Another time, and this is such a great verse that helps us understand how Jesus is all through the Old Testament, is, you know, on the road to Emmaus in the New Testament, here's Jesus with these two guys, and they're walking along, and they don't recognize that it's him because it's the very day he's been resurrected and as if they would expect to see him, you know, walking. And they've got all these questions, and they're so, they're, they're confused. And then here comes Jesus and starts talking to them. And then it says in Luke 24, 27, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
So if you ever doubt that Jesus is not in the Old Testament, we are just, we need help being trained to understand what those things mean. Because he's there. He's there in Moses. And Moses wrote a lot of the, of the Old Testament. And then all the prophecies. That's a huge chunk of the Old Testament. The Spirit is also in the Old Testament in, in a couple of different ways. Because the Spirit had not come yet, right? Pentecost hadn't come yet to indwell all believers. He has these, these guest appearances. He has these special occurrences where he comes down and he gives certain people great power, for instance. Some of the judges and the kings had great power um, given to them. Uh, Gideon and Samson, all of a sudden it'll say they were, you know, the spirit came upon them and they could do great things. Kings sometimes could do that as well. Joshua. So he's there. And he also plays a prominent role in prophecy. We see him in prophecy. So a helpful summary just for you to, to kind of bring this all together, um, I got from one of my volumes, the McGrath volume, um, the book. Let me just summarize it this way. I think this is helpful. The three persons of the Trinity are distinct, yet not divided, different, yet not separate or independent of each other. So just remember that they're distinct, but they're not divided. They're different yet not separate or independent of each other. So again, I think my hope with, with this is that we just can put on different lenses at times and not try to section off God into God in the Old Testament versus God in the New Testament and then the Holy Spirit somewhere in between. Okay, what does this mean for you and me? Let's bring it down to some implications and to some applications. Let me tell you a couple of reasons why the belief in the Trinity is really so vital. It is vital because, for one, the atonement is at stake. Jesus had to be God to bear the full wrath of God against our sins. There is no created being, no matter how great, that could have saved us. So the atonement is one of those bigger words that we just need to, we need to revisit again and again. Atonement, meaning the sacrifice Jesus made in order to reconcile sinners to a holy God. If, if we don't fully embrace the Trinity, the atonement falls apart. That's how important it is. So we have to understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man in order to bear the penalty and the wrath of our sins in order to save us. Secondly, Jesus must be God in order for us to pray to him and worship him. In order for him to hear and respond to our prayers, he, he is the one worthy of our worship because he is God. Otherwise, it's idol worship. So Jesus has to be God for a couple of those reasons, too. So there were two creeds that you read about. One was the Nicene Creed, and then the other one was the um, Athanasius Creed, or the Athanasian Creed by Athanasius. <laughs> it's not a word you hear every day. Okay, so that was in 500 A.D., and let me just bring it down to what he had to say, because his big thing with his creed was the Trinity, and he wanted to make sure it came across. And someone summarized it this way, what he had to say. Okay, this was in 500 A.D. Christianity stands or falls with the confession of the deity of Christ and the Trinity. In the confession of the Trinity throbs the heart of the Christian religion. Every error results from 
or upon deeper reflection may be traced to a wrong view of this doctrine. He wanted people to get it, and we, we need to get it. Let me say that there are, there's a distortion of this doctrine in our culture, even in Christianity. There is a movement right now, and I'm just going to talk about it for just a second because I think it's important, called progressive Christianity. I don't know if you've heard that word or not. You may have heard people who believe in progressive Christianity or might teach from that but not even know that that's really their perspective. Progressive Christianity is the view that, that Christianity itself is progressing, like we're evolving. You remember how I was talking about, about, about a buffet? Progressive Christianity would hold to the, the belief that some of the stuff in, in the Bible is kind of outdated or it's not relevant to us today. Some of what they have to say sounds good. They got off the mark a little bit. And you know what happens when you get off a little mark? You know, this is what happens. You're, you're, you're farther and farther away from the truth. And so the people that are holding to this view of progressive Christianity are beginning to deny the atonement. Remember how I said the atonement is at stake? It is. And so we have to guard our doctrine carefully. And I just want to encourage you to do that. It's not to scare you, but it's just to say, let's be careful what we're reading, what we're listening to. If something starts to sound a little off, it probably is off. We have to make sure that we are held tightly by our doctrine. And that's really, like I said, what keeps us from, from saying, this is just too hard or it offends me. It's like, this is what is true, Lord. Help me understand and believe it. Okay, I have a couple of challenges for you as, you as you think more about this today to really kind of get it to hopefully sink in. Today, what I want you to do, and maybe for this next several days, ponder your own salvation. Ponder your own salvation. Realize the same God that brought you to belief is alive and working in your life today. The Father planned your salvation, the Son made it possible, and the Holy Spirit drew you to God. God is for you. If you're a believer, your mind should be blown that, the, that you had three members of the Trinity working to bring you to himself. God is for you. He is for you when you are in sin. He is for you when you are doubting. He is for you when you are struggling. He is for you when you think you don't need him and can handle things on your own. My personal favorite. He's for you. All the members of the Trinity are for you if you're in Christ. So even when we have strayed, he wants to bring you back. So that same power that saved you is alive and working in you today. I want you to think about that. Secondly, don't be afraid of difficult doctrines. Because the Holy Spirit lives within you. We, at times, are afraid or, like I said, want to just kind of check out. We don't, we don't really know what to do with it. Uh, Jack, who I mentioned, we were having that conversation. He's kind of in a big question mode right now, which keeps me on my toes. And I had come back from a dinner, and he was still awake, and so I went in and laid with him for a second. And you know when your kid starts asking questions, part of it is just like, you just want to go, don't want to go to sleep. But then you're thinking, they have been thinking about this, and they, this is their moment. 
And, um, and so the, the Lord just gave me patience because I was tired and, and wanted to go to bed. But I laid with him for a little while, and he, this is what he said, and I have his permission to share. It's so sweet. He just goes, Mom, it's hard to be a kid sometimes. <laughs> you know, when you're grown up, you understand all these things, but, you know, as a kid, it's hard. And he said, how do I know the Bible is really true? There are all these lies out in the world. It kind of makes me cry because he knows. We, we talk about that. There's all these lies out there. How do I know it's true? I mean, some guys just wrote the Bible. How do we know? And I'm like, oh my goodness, we've got like inerrancy of scripture here. We've got the, you know, is how did God, God exist? And he's talking about eternity and all these different things. And what the Lord brought to mind was, you know, Jack, when, when, you, when you come to trust in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's going to teach you all these things. As a parent, that really helps me to get off the hook. I don't have to have every answer. I'd love to have every answer, and I don't. I can't explain all that to him really quickly. But isn't that comforting to us today? That when you come to Christ and you know him as your Savior, the Holy Spirit helps us understand the things that we can't understand. And so if you're confused about all this today, if you leave with more questions than answer, answers, go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I still don't get it. Holy Spirit, please teach me. Show me what this means. Confirm it in my heart. You might not have all the answers. We're never going to be able to have full, all the answers about the Trinity. But he will give you what you need because he's God and he lives in you. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that that doctrines, even when they're hard, that you can help us to understand what they mean and that you can help us apply them. It's so important because without, without understanding this truth, Lord, we're, we will go our own way. We will try to be our own God. We will try to go along in life and, and just forget who you are, Lord. Show us how to apply this truth today and help us to rest in you, rest in your love that saved us. We didn't deserve it, and yet you, you did it. And so we praise you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about our resources, please visit 101christianity.com. And for more encouragement, you can follow along on Instagram at Courtney underscore Garrett underscore. Let's press on as we seek to know the truth and share the truth.